Joseph Gallivan's column in the October 2nd, 2000 New York Post read, Bluetooth, getting long in the tooth, before giving the newfangled and flawed technology feature a full dissertation. Gallivan noted in the first sentence, quote, It'll be a while yet before your fridge talks to your Palm Pilot, unquote. The same article features promises made by industry experts that once the technology is fully realized, your laptop or Palm computer will use the cell phone in your briefcase to dial the internet. Even the top creators at Microsoft, Intel, and IBM had no idea how the Bluetooth would evolve and how it would no longer be marketed as a special feature, but as a needed component. The same can be said for Radiohead's detachment of guitars and embrace of electronic tones on their fourth studio album, Kid A, released the same day as when the Bluetooth supposedly jumped the shark. After personal and creative dissatisfaction with being the world's biggest rock band, Tom York abandoned what he knew. He found creative freedom in being untrained and unaware of the power of electronic instruments. A grueling multi-year recording process began, one that nearly broke up the band in their attempt for unapologetic perfection. Released only 10 months after the very real, looming threat of Y2K, Kid A signaled the actual digital apocalypse that needed to be feared and addressed. 20 years after the fact, as the alternative landscape shifted from rap rock to a more accessible version of EDM, no record matches the prowess and intensity of Kid A. Through 11 songs in 47 minutes, Kid A embarks on a journey of personal, societal, and existential dread. And 20 years after its release, it remains an art school album. My guest today, uh, the guest that I have known the longest in the near year-long run of this podcast, I've had very few people from my high school career on. I like to avoid them, typically. I don't like to factor them into my life, but this is a person that I cannot get rid of, and I am so excited that he's finally on the podcast. My guest today is Vaughn Rumps. Vaughn, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure. It's nice to be here. It's uh, it's nice and cozy. Obviously, today's show is sponsored by the Mountain Dew Red Lobster collaboration, the Dew Garita, the only alcoholic beverage that I've ever actually considered drinking. Vaughn, have you had a Dew Garita before? Uh, I've yet to. It's been something that uh, I've considered making. Last week, I was in Indianapolis and I bought all the supplies for uh, Izzy and I to make them. Uh, and eventually, we just ended up eating each individual ingredient by itself, and it never quite came together. That's a real that's a real bummer because it really seems like quite the special concoction. You are someone that really, I think, knows my lineage better than most. I believe we were sitting in a seventh grade science class when I pledged uh, to be straight edge to you. And ever since then, it seems like monthly I get a text, a very aggressive, out-of-the-blue text from you, something along the lines of, have you had a beer yet, pussy? Uh, and it's it's always something jarring that makes me feel bad about myself. And I really came close to breaking when I saw the new Mountain Dew alcoholic beverage, but I, I am true till death. I remain straight edge, at least for now. And it, it got me thinking, because we've known each other for so long, and I don't say this in a self-indulgent way, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to hear what you have to say, do you have a defining case low story, something that can really summarize our relationship? Uh, I think uh, there are two that specifically come to mind. Uh, one of them I actually forgot about until you reminded me. Um, 
and well actually there's three and i'm gonna hit all three please by all maids that that science class um i completely forgot uh until you mentioned it that uh i guess i'm extremely capable of uh not thinking before i speak uh so when the infamous case low came into class with a shaved head really short hair really short it was pretty short yeah and from across the classroom it was my first time uh, having my eyes gaze upon you and your new beautiful form uh and i just shouted hey skinhead from across (laughs) the entire class uh to which our teacher was also laughing at her interaction. I do feel like you got away with murder in that class. I, I do believe our teacher's name was Mrs. Hyatt, and I think that was one of those classes where everyone in that class was so poorly behaved, she hated everybody. And it's not that we were well-behaved, but I feel like our maturity level was just a leg up for most people in that class. So she found great solace in bantering back and forth with us. And somehow What's Up Skinhead was on her things that were perfectly acceptable in that class. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you said you didn't feel like I got away with murder. On the contrary, I think I did. <laughs> no, I think you did. I think you did. <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, another one, this will be my final one, actually. Uh, I, I just remember laughing uncontrollably when we were in a sophomore year English class and I found out that you were learning Japanese uh, in order to uh, better comprehend the uh, wrestling that you woke up at 3 a.m. to watch. Still um, still something that happens in my life, and this is a specific Vaughn memory Then I... I feel like he hangs over my head more than anybody because there was like a week in time where I was like, I'll learn Japanese. It's not that hard. And then I tried and I was like, no, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. And Vaughn has taken it to heart to make sure that the legacy of me trying to learn Japanese for a week lives on. And I really appreciate that, quite honestly. Well, everybody just got to know that you gave it the old college try. (laughs) There's I, I was trying to think of like, God, I've known Vaughn for so long. I... How could I even describe this person in my life? I mean, such an omniscient being. And I I was thinking, I couldn't think of like the awesome, like great moment that Vaughn and I have had. But I did remember the time where I was most angriest with you, most upset with you, which was I was getting dinner at the lovely Perkins establishment, my <laughs> my calling card of choice. It was me, former guest of the show, Marie Drassic, and our good friend, Joe Bergen. And this was like our group. Like we liked having dinner at Perkins, the three of us. And somehow it came up. I think Joe suggested it and Marie had not met you. And she's like, well, let's invite Vaughn. I'm sure Vaughn would, would be so much fun here. And I was not having it because this is my dinner, my time with Marie, my time with Joe. I don't want Vaughn here to upstage me. And this motherfucker comes rolling into a Perkins and hijacks this conversation. Whatever bits I had planned were thrown out the window because I think we were talking, I think this was 2016 and we had a lot of uh, presidential takes that ended up being woefully incorrect, but it was a lot of like uh, political talk that I just wasn't savvy enough to comprehend. And it really, it I was livid with you for showing up to this dinner uh no we definitely i'm with her the fuck out of that table so uh how wrong we were oh such a simpler time when we really we really thought that was gonna that was gonna be it we're gonna we're gonna move into this society yeah and technically we did (laughs) 
I think a lot of things that have happened over the past four years were going to happen uh, who, with whoever was running the country. Yeah, we've just got really good new uh, emo music, so that's cool. Well, I'm glad you brought up emo music because, uh, you know, I, you're someone that is in a frat and you are constantly pumping iron as we sit doing this podcast, you're sipping out of a Bud Light but you're also someone that has pronouns in his Instagram bio. You are really the duality of man. And with that, I think brings an incredibly eclectic music taste. I mean, you are the person, Vaughn. You showed me the Smiths. I did not know who this band was until you sat down and showed me them. So first of all, I need you to apologize to the listeners because all of this is your fault. And second of all, I, you know, give me a musical timeline, the early artists you were into, who you were into in high school and who you listen to now. Uh, yeah. So like, um, I mean like my earliest like music memory is, uh, actually Radiohead, which is kind of hilarious. That's frightening. Um, yeah, so their, their 2008 album, uh, in rainbows. Um, I mean, I owe like pretty much all of my, um, my like musical taste to, to the fact that I'm like the youngest kid, you know, and I'm younger by seven years and eight years. Um, so my brother was definitely him being the middle child. Uh, he was definitely like the, like trailblazer when it came to all that sort of thing. And as I've grown older, I'm like talking to my parents, you know, and I'm like, oh, like, what music, you know, did you guys listen to in high school? And my mom, like, I'm expecting them to say like, they're, they're born in 1969 and 1970. So like, right at the, like, the, um, I guess, like, genesis of like, new wave. And like, you know, like, for the first time, people are making music that doesn't like, suck. Yes, exactly. So... I'm like, you know, what, like, what do you guys like listen to or whatever? And, uh, you know, my dad's like, I'm expecting them to say, you know, like Def Leppard or like some bullshit, you know? And like both, like my mom and my dad are like, sit, like one's in Michigan and one's in California at this time. Right. Growing up completely separate. And they're like, oh, you know, like Depeche Mode and like the Smiths. And I'm like, my dad was like a high school football star and like, <laughs> Like all like my dad's like what you don't like you like the human league and like Echo and the Bunny Men and I'm like what the fuck is going on right now, but I think that just like growing up in an environment where like I wasn't waking up every Sunday to like Dave Matthews Band is like probably like a good thing for me and set me on the right path. So I think I had like a cool family upbringing in that regard where music was always like stressed. I mean none of us are musicians and none of us are like musically gifted necessarily. But I think, like, there's, like, definitely, like, a good ear in my house. Um, like, my dad right now is, like, really into, uh, the fuck is he into? Like, he's into, like, My Morning Jacket and, like, the paper kites and stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? Or, like, Lord Huron. I'm like, why? Like, you know very existential of him. Yeah, I'm like, why are you, first off, why are you only listening to music that's, like, made for, like, going camping? <laughs> and second off, like, like, why in general, you know? And my mom is just, like, always, like, my mom, I forget who it was, like, recently came out with an album, but it was one of those, like, new wave artists. My mom was, like, listening to their, like, 2020 album. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you're allowed to like Taylor Swift, like, 
Yeah, it's so fine. Fun. You've you've passed the age where you need to impress people with your music. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and like you know, the, it's funny. Like they're not impressing anybody. They're just like living for. Like, it's just like what they're into, you know. And it's kind of cool. Like I just kind of grew up on that sort of thing. And then, um, like I said, my brother uh, was really into all that sort of stuff, and my sister too. So like I follow both of them on Spotify, and I'll see what they're listening to, and I'm like, oh, cool. We're all listening to like the same exact thing. And it's like completely unintentional, you know, it's just like kind of how it came down. But yeah, my going back, my first like music memory was uh, that Radiohead and Rainbows album. And I'll, I'll get to the Kid A portion because they kind of tie together. Um, but the In Rainbows was really like groundbreaking and that it was uh, um, and by this point, Radiohead is established as like one of the best bands of all time. I, like that's not me being like subjective. That's like, it's an objective thing. No, that's, that's a common consensus at this point. Yeah. So like, um, basically like they don't need, like they're, they're boundary pushing at this point. They're not like, they're not trying to like make a, like a buck. Right. So it, they were like the first band to do like a pay what you want for an album. They were the first major league band. I mean, did they and did they steal Jeff Rosenstock's bomb the industry model, uh, bomb the music industry model completely? Of course they did. But nobody cared about ska in the early two thousand, so we got to give the credit to Radiohead. Clearly, um, but yeah. So like, you know, I just, I remember I'm I'm fucking nine years old when this album comes out, and I'm sitting there with my brother who's you know, 16 or whatever, and likes Radiohead. And he's like, what should we pay for this album? Right. It's like a, it's like a fucking like MP3. This is like early internet stuff, you know? Um, like I, we're, we're buying this album and we also have like LimeWire on our like desktop computer <laughs> and nine-year-old me even at the time it was always a bargain chaser. And I'm like, he's like, what should we pay for it? And I didn't understand, you know, like, you know, give money to like the arts or whatever. So I'm like nine and I'm like fucking nothing. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, let's just get this album, bro. Um, but to that, to this day, like in rainbows is my favorite album. It's my earliest like album memory. Um, but, you know, it's just something that like kind of, I guess like shaped my taste. And I think like being a nine year old and really liking Radiohead is first off really cringy. It's troubling. Uh, it's troubling. And like throughout the course of this, I'm going to sound like extremely like, uh, like unself aware. I'm sure. Let it be known to whoever listens to this, that, uh, I try to be as self aware as possible. And I realize that me liking Radiohead to the extent that I do, you're going to wonder why like my chest hair and like my chin beard, and like my neck don't all come together to form one hair patch on my body. Um, well, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on this show because like, I, I had no idea that in rainbows was your favorite album of all time. And that's, I think that speaks a lot to your musical sensibilities. You are someone that I consider to have a bit more of a refined palette you know, in high school, I think we were both into parts of the emo revival, but you would look at a band like the Front Bottoms and you would cast them off as childish and not entirely your thing. But a band like Foxing, a little bit more mature sounding band, you would be all about. Yeah, com completely. And I still, um, I mean, we've 
you and I have spoken before about how we both like uh, we both like Catcher in the Rye, right? We love Catcher in the Rye. I defend that book. We love. I I'll defend it always. And uh, I honestly do think that the emo revival, like as a genre, is like my musical Catcher in the Rye, where, where like I heard it. You know, like you read Catcher in the Rye when you're fucking whatever age and you're like this book is dog shit and then like you read it again when you're like a little bit older and you have like a better understanding for like holden as a character well holden is my emo revival basically and so i'm like listening to i'm trying to get into like modern baseball or like like literally any any band in that genre other than like american football and like fucking like foxing uh I remember like early on being like, oh, I like, you know, like Tiger's Jaw, I think, and like all that sort of stuff. And then I go back and I listen to like, the world is a beautiful place, which at the time I was like, this sounds like cock. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm like going back and I'm listening to it and I'm like, damn, this is like actually like really good. And I remember you put me on to uh, that Oso Oso album. Yeah, that Oso Oso album uh, that came out last year. That was one of my albums of the year. I loved it. The Basking in the Glow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, uh, that was an album that, like, in the same vein, I'm I'm listening to it for the first time, and I'm like, this is like, act, this is unreal, like, this is like some like groundbreaking stuff, and I think that that genre as a whole, it's funny too, because I I the other day I sent you that article from the Atlantic, yes. about who brought back emo revival and like, the caveat being who the fuck cares. Um, a tremendous okay. article in the Atlantic where they're talking about Grantland and you know how like uh, Grantland was featuring modern baseball in the NBA playoffs on the same homepage. And it's like, oh my god, things used to be so much simpler. Like, does it, it? That's what I want right now. Yeah, we we entered into a new world order where Grantland doesn't exist and we're all worse off for it. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, and we'll be referencing the Ringer later on in this show. So don't think you're done listening to two white guys talking about Bill Simmons' property. I would, I'd never want to be done ever with that. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much my like musical Genesis. Yeah. Um, You were someone that I think had to suffer through a lot of me trying to figure stuff out, you know, especially in our, you know, our sophomore year English class is really when I learned to become a person. I think I did a lot of growing in that class specifically more than I did uh, pretty much at any other point in my life. You know, coming to class red hot, ready for Vaughn to listen to some folk punk song that I heard and Vaughn metaphorically beating the shit out of me because he hates the song so much. And I think there was a lot of that. But I think we've now like you're someone I turn to is like, I want to know what Vaughn is listening to. Because you're, you're a bit of a tastemaker yourself. I'm not afraid to say that. And it's always a little oh, bit more stop. of a... <laughs> it's always a little bit more of a mature sound with Vaughn. Something that, you know, it's almost adult contemporary emo in a way. You know, he, he wants to be out of the basement shows and listening to the bands that are headlining, say, the House of Blues. I, I think is a fair way to describe that. And that's not even mentioning your love of Radiohead and the album that we are here to talk about today, Kid A, which Vaughn, as we're recording this, came out 20 years to the day, October 2nd, 2000. Yeah. 
And I need to know, we talked a little bit about your relationship with Radiohead to begin with. I know I discovered the band through Rock Band 1 and the song Creep, and I like that song a lot from the game. But as we'll kind of, as I'll explain throughout this podcast, I don't know a ton of Radiohead stuff in general. So what is your relationship with the band? Obviously, And Rainbows is your favorite album of all time. What's your relationship with the band, and what is your relationship with Kid A? Yeah, well, I mean, you said it best. We're on the 20 year anniversary. Um, it's pretty crazy that this album is going to drink before you do. Uh, As I nearly but... choke on my hint water that I am drinking, hint water with uh, a little watermelon scent to it. It's a very nice, healthy beverage that I found myself transitioning to away from the two to three sprites a day. You got to get on that LaCroix grind. So I'm glad you brought up LaCroix real quick. My current roommate has been uh, egging me on to get into LaCroix. I I had a girlfriend in the past who all she wanted from me was to one, get my shit together and two, to drink LaCroix. And I was able to do neither. I don't like LaCroix. I think it tastes like battery acid. I've tried multiple flavors and I think they're all disgusting. So uh, for one, it is definitely overpriced. We were talking before about... uh... We were talking before about when I was in Indiana last week, and I ended up buying the uh, Kroger Seltzer instead. Yes. Half the price, so keep that in mind if you ever want to experiment again. But what I will recommend to you is they have a cola-flavored LaCroix. So it's basically like, you know, you've seen the joke about like, oh, LaCroix tastes like if, you know, like a lime like whispered into a glass of water or something. (laughs) That's really good. This is basically like if like a bottle of Coke, like shed one tear into your water. It's pretty good, honestly, though, if you're trying to cut down on that intake, I would give it a shot. There's plenty of uh, plenty of flavors and only more are coming. So keep that's, that in mind. Uh, that's an interesting selling point. I will I will keep that in mind. Obviously, uh, I am a Pepsi man myself. Uh, that seems to disgust you. It's, it's been discussed numerous times between us, but I'll keep it in mind. I'm not even going to get into the Pepsi thing, man. I'm going to leave that to uh, to the audience to just let that simmer. Uh, I think that's very kind of you to not eviscerate me on my own podcast this early into the podcast. But but your relationship with Kid A, an album that I had never heard before I asked you to be on the podcast and then I sat down and listened to it. What's your relationship with this record? Yeah, so, um, you know, like, like I said previously, In Rainbows is my favorite Radiohead album followed closely by kid a so you mentioned creep i think that's pretty much everybody's like intro and if you're like like ages 18 to 23 right now or maybe like 20 to like 25 your introduction to radiohead was probably that uh it was rock band one yeah it was it was it was rock band or guitar hero or whatever it was that on your ps2 absolutely Uh, that's probably the case for most people where like i think creep was for some reason on every like version of that game and if it wasn't then you could definitely like get it through dlc um so that's like every like a good example being like my roommates who are outside right now um they don't really know radiohead but they're like i fucking love creep and (laughs) to me i'm like to me, in like the least pretentious way possible, I'm like, eat rocks and die. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like creep is everybody's, I mean, that's just them being like a Nirvana cover band, you know? Exactly. Which is cool. That works for a lot of people. But like, once you get to know the discography a little bit more and you realize like just how groundbreaking what Radiohead was doing, I mean, you have to take into context the time, right? So like, like you said, this album is 20 years old. No one was doing anything like Radiohead, like what they were doing. And so like after, uh, so like they make Pablo Honey, which is uh, their worst album by far with Creep on it. You know, like they don't, they don't even play anything off of Pablo Honey live. They don't play Creep because they're like embarrassed of it. As they should be. It's kind of, we talked on, like, the first episode of this podcast was Weezer's Pinkerton, and we talked a lot about just the overt incel tones of that record, but in a way, Creep walked so Pinkerton could run. Yeah, no, completely. I think Creep walked so that, like, a lot of things could run. (laughs) And if we look Um, at the state of the world today, we could kind of all trace it back to Creep, I think. Creep creep is the, uh, the beginning of it all. Um... So, yeah, I mean, they go from that to the Benz. Um, the Benz being a little bit more experimental, but mainly it's like a more like refined, um, a more refined Pablo Honey. It's good, unlike Pablo Honey, which is uh, a really nice uh, trait for an album to have. Um, but yeah, so like you've got. Uh, You've got the Benz, which I think is probably like the most accessible Radiohead album. It has High and Dry, which I I really only know a handful of Radiohead songs, but I know High and Dry and I really, really love that song. Yeah. So like pretty much everything on that album sounds like High and Dry, which like is good. Right. And so uh, from there, you kind of see them realizing that like they've reached like the peak of their sound when it comes to um i guess uh, like at that point they would be like your typical like alternative like grungy band and like like that genre that that genre especially in the mid 90s is saturated right completely they're they're in the post grunge universe but they're also from england so it's they're they're competing with brit pop bands but they're not like an oasis or a blur it's a completely different sound so they're they're a rare instance of a band really taking off in the states before they ever did in their home country you know they found success with creep but you're looking from 93 to 97 the english music scene is entirely dominated by blur and oasis and there's trickles of morrissey success in there but it's it's the brit pop sound and radiohead was not that yeah no completely and so like i mean their their major breakthrough when it's like okay we need to take Radiohead seriously is OK Computer and like everyone will echo that. Um, people still consider it their opus. Um, it's not personally my favorite. There are great tracks on it and it it grapples with a lot of, uh, I guess, like emotional turmoil and like social issues that I would argue Kid A picks up and does better. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's a chart-topping album. It's like, it's like their namesake, basically. But what you have after that 
and this is where I'm going to kid a is you have like undeniable success of okay computer and it inspires a ton of predominantly British bands to become Radiohead 2.0, which is where you get fucking Muse and like early Coldplay and stuff. So it's like what you have in Kid A is you have Tom York, the uh, front man being like, wow, we're being like, like they're hot on our trail, right? Like we've, we've got a commercially and critically successful, like 10 out of 10 album, made a ton of money, done a lot of things, but there are other bands now trying to replicate it. Oh, and by the way, you know, we've reached a serious amount of success and I feel unfulfilled. So, you know, every, every artist is like, uh, like no one's doing, I mean, everyone is doing it actually because they're like you know this is something that i enjoy doing like the money comes later but like let's not be shy about it everybody wants money like all these bands are like i would like to make it big um and radiohead finally does and they realize that it's not all that it's cracked up to be which is where you get kid a and a lot of the lyrics on a lot of these songs are like uh, and we'll get into this more when we go through like the track by track or whatever, but it's like, uh, you know, writer's block, depression, isolation, uh, a lot of um, reference to, you know, snow, uh, just a lot of things that make you feel extremely like claustrophobic and isolated. And so uh, when you go into like the making of the record, uh, they did it with no like, timeline as to when it was going to come out and really what they so like okay computer right they're touring with rem which is really funny Uh, Um, rem one of my i don't know five favorite bands of all time i think they're the greatest american band ever yeah and so uh tom's what what is it uh stripe michael stripe michael stipe stipe yeah so uh that's like his like number one role model, right? They're like super close and they're touring together and on the road, he's trying to write these songs for Kid A. And he's like, I, him being Tom, he's like, I can't fucking do any of this, right? Like he's like freaking out. And as a result, the band is also freaking out because like the glue that keeps them together is breaking down so what you see in this album is a lot of insecurity and i guess like a lot of turmoil within the band um but i mean looking back on it it made for i mean you can if you look at like rolling stone like their rankings of like top 500 albums of all time i'm pretty sure kid a is like number 20 so they made it out all right. It worked out in the end. It was such a monumental leap. Again, just from the little bit I know of Radiohead from OK Computer to what sounds like not only a different band, but embarking on a genre, you know, all to themselves with with uh, with this album Kid A. It, there's nothing like it because you're talking about a time before electronic music electronic music really made its way into America's mainstream consciousness but 
Radiohead is doing it. Radiohead is arguably the biggest rock band at the start of the century, and there's just... Uh, there's no comparison for the drastic shift in sound and attitude for this band. The last thing that I will read before we begin to break down this album is a great piece from Rob Sheffield from Rolling Stone for the 15th anniversary of Kid A, uh, in which he's talking about sort of the backlash that this album received initially, because you're right now, you know, any legitimate music critic looks at this album as a, you know, a magnum opus and, you know, uh, a game-changing delivery from one of the world's biggest bands. But in 2000, it was really split in terms of how people felt about it. And one of the things that Sheffield mentions is that that year, in 2000, everybody's favorite album had been D'Angelo's Voodoo, another abstract masterpiece that demanded hours of patient contemplation. And I kind of wanted to know, uh, I believe you're a big D'Angelo fan, is that correct? Uh, yeah, so I mentioned In Rainbows is like my number one album, Kid A, definitely in my top 20. Uh, D'Angelo's Voodoo is probably my number like five album. So, uh, yeah, I definitely am across the board when it comes to genres, but I mean, that's a great, if you want to have me back on, we can do that album too. I just don't see myself sitting down and listening to that D'Angelo album all the way through, but more power to you for enjoying it. So we have ever, and by the way, just such a tremendous job of breaking down everything that led up to Kid A. You did a much better job than I ever could. So we have this band that's in crisis mode. We have a culture that is in crisis mode, because if you look at the top of the charts in 2000, you're talking about Limp Biscuit and Britney Spears and the revival of Carlos Santana and all of these things that just don't seem to work. And then we get Kid A on October 2nd, 2000, an album that is 11 songs in 47 minutes. And it begins with everything is in the right place. And Vaughn, when I heard this song for the first time last week, I thought I made a grave mistake agreeing to do this podcast because I had just never heard sounds like this. I don't listen to electronic music. I have no knowledge of the genre. And I was putting myself in a very dangerous position by thinking that the next 10 songs would be mirror images of everything is in the right place. But it is truly uh, just a bizarre way to start this record. Yeah, no, it's definitely bizarre. Um, and again, regarding like the one final thing regarding the background of the album, it's important to know, uh, you know, when this album came out, they uh, they didn't tease it at all. No singles, no music videos. Were, no singles, no music videos. And I mentioned that in Rainbows is like, two, that's 2008, that's early internet. Well, this is really early internet this is 2000 and they released it for streaming um which is just like insane i don't even know what i was born i was born the year previous right yes and so it's i don't even know what streaming would look like in that regard i feel like i need to like get on like a pedal bike to like power the computer to do it uh but yeah so i mean this they're 
doing weird cryptic shit on the internet to like promote the album and it's like I guess I don't know the context of what the world was like at the time, but I'm like, who the fuck even has a computer at that point? Like, you know what I mean? So like, it's just, they're very abstract. And again, you see a band that's made it to success and they feel unfulfilled by what they found at the top. So like, they're like, why do we have singles? Why do we, why make a music video right away to promote this album when we can just do whatever it is we want to do. And as a result, you know, they're number one in the United States and I'm pretty sure number one in the UK when this album comes out. So it works and I'm sure the success is welcome for them, but it's, it was a weird way to do it. I mean, it's one, it's the ultimate gamble because if this album doesn't work, we probably don't get any more Radiohead albums. If this is looked at as some sort of colossal failure, I think they just pack it in because the band almost broke up numerous times creating just again, this different world. And I can only imagine if you're not someone that is plugged into the underground dance scene at the time. You know, this is electronic music in a way that that most people hadn't heard. And I think because we've grown up in the 2000s and the 2010s and, you know, it's it's audio uh, it's you know, auto tune rap and we you know, dance music is the preferred genre in America that I, I think it is a little bit more normal to us. But I can't imagine listening to this in 2000 and just having the back of your head blow off like you don't know what you've heard. It's the only only comparison I have for it is the first time I heard the band AJJ, Andrew Jackson Jihad, and hearing guitars and banjos and mandolins and and these lyrics that reference other songs, that's what I can kind of equate this to, is I just didn't know what that band was doing was possible, and I think Kid A had a larger scale similar reaction. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, this band starts off with... uh or not this band, this album starts off with, uh, you know, everything in its right place. And I can only imagine being around in 2000 and hearing this for the first time and knowing, uh, I forget, let me check real quick what uh, OK Computer started off with. I think it's uh, Airbag. Yeah. And, you know, that's some more, like, first off, two incredible uh, leads to uh, an album but yeah, like you said, it's your first time listening to it the other day, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" You know, I had no frame of reference for it. I had, I, you know, think about that. It's it was an album that was ahead of its time in 2000, and I've still never heard anything like it in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah, no. So, like, I mean, if you look at the, uh, and it's completely evident on everything in its right place. Like, you do a little reading about the album, and you're like, "Okay, what was Tom listening to at the time?" And he's like, oh, like Aphex Twin and shit. And it's like, yeah, clearly. Like, you know, it's just like he uh, he mentioned that with the making of OK Computer, they had like an electronic sound, you know? But, like it wasn't an electronic album. It was made to complement the rock album that they made. And for the first time, you've got Radiohead doing songs where there's seemingly not a guitar present, right? Or, and I'll get to that later because like what you don't realize unless you do a little digging is what you're listening to actually is a guitar, but they just like distorted and looped the shit out of it, which again is like crazy. Right. But yeah, you've got Tom being like, I don't even know, uh, 
I don't even know like what all these like electronic music like acronyms are. And imagine he's saying that to the rest of the band and the rest, like literally like it's quoted, like the rest of the band is like, fuck me. Like, cause he's like, I don't want to make another album like what we've made. And the rest of the band is like, okay, cool. Except that like worked really well. And then like you look and like your front man is like, you know, taking aspirin and fucking sitting in the bathtub. Like, like you've got to do what you've got to do to push boundaries. But it was clearly like you're jumping off the high dive with your like creative director being Tom York and the rest of the band just kind of went along with it. But yeah, like everything in its right place is like, it is the epitome of what I think this album like stands for. Like the, the main like takeaway lyric is like the sucking on a lemon one. Right. Uh, and it's been, you know, memed by like Radiohead people and like music people alike. But I mean, like it, again you've got like an extremely like isolated and depressed front man and the uh like reference that's being made is like you know the face that you make when you suck a lemon right it's like squinting like you're in clear discomfort um and i guess that's just like what you've got that's like the representation of this song it's honestly the way that it makes the listener feel it's like it's a deeply uneasy, and I think that that explains why this album is so popular, is you feel physically uneasy listening to this album, right? Like, no one's turning this on in a party or else you get punched. Like, No, I yeah, it would be a dangerous move to put this on the aux, and I, and I think that ties into the title track, Kid A, which is for me it was even more out there it was another step into another dimension and i found the nick hornby review by the new yorker uh, which came out at the time that the album was released to be very interesting because Hornby did not care for the record. And he says, uh, you have to work at, at, at albums like Kid A. You have to sit at home night after night and give yourself over to the paranoid millennial atmosphere as you try to decipher elliptical snatches of lyrics and puzzle out how the titles might refer to the songs. In other words, you have to be 16. There's nothing wrong with making albums for 16-year-olds, but Radiohead's previous efforts had more inclusive ambitions. And specifically with the title track, one that I just never got into, and I listened to this album a lot over the past week, track two never did anything for me, and that is where I kind of uh, give credit to the New Yorker review there. What, what do you think about that review? Yeah, so I mean, again, it's not my favorite track on the album either. Um, again, I don't think there's a bad track on the album, Um but some are better than others, right? Kid A being, I guess, probably lower on the totem pole. Um, but I, I guess uh, that review, it makes some points, but like it's also aged like milk. Uh, and I, this isn't me like standing Radiohead. It's me being like, he, like the author of that review would probably say the same thing, right? And like, there's a reason why, like we're 20 years later and I'm, I'm Googling kid a right earlier today, just to see like, um, you know, what's out there. And I'm like, shit, there's like 150 articles that have been written today about this album. Right. Or, you know, with headlines, like 
you know, how it relates to 2020 and like, you know, they predicted the future and I'm sure like Tom York is like, Oh fuck. Like that's so cringe. (laughs) But like, but at the same time, I'm sure that New Yorker article, that guy's like, Oh fuck. That's like so cringe that I wrote that. Cause it's like, also when I was 16, I wasn't like, granted that was only five years ago, but I think I've done a fair amount of like growing up in that time period. I'm not like deciphering the depth of kid a when i'm 16 i'm like trying to score miller light from like a senior in high school in a parking lot like that is like that is so needlessly critical to me but i get it i mean like yeah is the album at times like self-indulgent yeah for sure it's it's radiohead they're like being a radiohead fan like myself is pretentious i said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be like not self-aware about it there is no greater music fan base than radiohead to make fun of okay i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because my aversion to radiohead for the 21 years that i've been alive it's not that i don't like the music i there's songs on this album we'll hit in just a minute that i really really like karma police and high and dry i love those songs I hate the Radiohead fan base. I don't like these people. I don't like how seriously they take themselves. And it well, has always rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And so I've, I've, I'm not going to like r slash Radiohead like meetups at wherever the hell that would be. Right. You know, like yeah, I don't want to know where that would be. That's terrifying. I, I don't, I don't want to know. Cause I probably wouldn't leave it alive. Uh, but no, like it's, like it's definitely a weird fan base in that regard, but like, I don't know. I think something with Kid A too is like it's a concept album, which I think is such a hilarious term because concept album to me is just like doing something different, right? Yeah, just a, a small change in pace, and all of a sudden it's a great big concept. Yeah. Oh, nice. This is a concept album. It's like. Yeah, they just, like, changed their sound. But no, like, all the, like, Radiohead people are, like, I think it's about, like, a robot clone that, like, was made in a lab, and this album is, like, about its life. And if you listen to, like, the third word of each song, it, like, and I'm just, like, shut the fuck up, honestly. Like, just, like, listen to the album for, like, what it is. But, yeah, long story short, I agree with you. Like, it's a cringe community and it's like i'm trying to think of like a similar fan base and honestly i like can't no maybe maybe hardcore simpsons fans like people that really love the first nine seasons of the simpsons oh thank god i'm not in that I don't relate to that at all. Uh, it's not who I am. But but as we go along on Kid A, I think track three, obviously we'll want to take a knee here for the national anthem. This is a song that, Vaughn, I don't know what your experience is like on dating apps. I'm sure they are drastically different than my experiences in terms of success rate and, and meeting interesting people. I do feel like anytime a girl has this as her anthem, she is wearing a bucket hat, which does make her out of my league. Uh, the national anthem is a, is a song that I'm a little conflicted by. What do we think about track three? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely like one of my favorites. Um, I just 
it's just it's so ambiguous in the way that it's written in the way that it's produced um it's one that i consistently go back to and i think it's cool um like uh the album art the production they stick with the same people right so you can hear it's nigel godrich and or goodrich um and stanley donwood does the art for every radiohead album and nigel produces it so you can kind of hear like nigel like tap dancing across like every song on this but it's pretty clear um on the national anthem and i think the coolest thing about this this song is uh you can kind of um if you go like farther in their discography towards like the present you can hear how it like influenced a lot of their sound um it's just this song is i can't like speak favorably enough uh like i feel like i go back to it consistently and it's not like i think the craziest thing to me is you can have a Radiohead song like the national anthem where uh, you can look the lyrics up. Like there's not a lot being said. No, on hardly on hardly any song on this album. There's really not a lot being said. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of lyrics and there's a lot of repetition, but like with it, they somehow tell like more of a story than like a band that's like singing a fucking like ballad uh can do with like you know four times the words um it's just like a very like they do a really good job of creating like an atmospheric environment and i think that the national anthem does like an awesome job of doing that the horns at the end that big sort of apocalyptic apocalyptic jazz sound loses me just a little bit but that also just might be because i don't like jazz and i do think it's a waste of a genre but where I differ, where my tone changes on the album, because through three tracks, I'm like, I it's just, I, I, I don't know if this is for me. It's so much and it's so ambiguous, and I just don't know. But then we hit how to disappear completely. And I'm not this was such a massive win this is exactly what I, I wanted an album of this of dystopian slide guitars and really soft and big songs and this for me is my is my song of the album I'm a huge fan of, of what was brought to the table here yeah I mean this song is just like unreal it's incredible uh- yeah, so uh, like the background on it, if I can recall correctly, it's like, uh, you know, on tour, Tom is experiencing like sleep paralysis and like the ability, uh, or not the ability, the inability to, you know, fall asleep um, as a result of his like depression and like the writer's block and everything in that regard. So like you hear him saying like, how to disappear completely like i float like the the lyrics are and everybody wants to get like way deeper on it it's literally about his experience of like hallucinating as a result of sleep and like floating and feeling like he's disappearing as a result of all of these mental issues that are going on um 
Yeah, I think it's really poignant. And I think it's something that, I mean, the sound itself, again, a lot of this album almost feels like you're not supposed to be there, right? That's huge. Uh-huh. I think that's a great way of describing a lot of this. And I, th- I think that that's probably my favorite part is it's almost like a like a social experiment that you're kind of like looking in on where you're seeing, again, a band extremely popular in turmoil, a person experiencing, you know, like mental issues. And like, that's something that I think, you know, at this point, like, you know, the year 2000 or in like 1999 when it was written, it's like, I don't think those were things that were readily discussed in music. Um, And if they were, they were a lot more straightforward. They weren't as like shrouded in like mystery and like ambient sound as you get here. Um, You know, like you're listening to it and you like really do feel like you're in a person's like psyche a little bit, at least. I I don't, again, that sounds pretentious, but like, it's just a really like crazy thing to be like witness to. And I think, uh, like you said, how to disappear completely is the massive win for the album. And like someone like yourself, where you're not, you're not going into it liking Radiohead already. You hear this song and you're like, okay, I I think I understand why at least like they're popular, like they have a following, you know? The best thing that I can say about this album is that because of songs like How to Disappear Completely, and then, you know, from there, there's a Tree Fingers instrumental, which I, I found to be a waste of time. But if you look at like How to Disappear Completely and then optimistic like those are two songs that made me want to dive into this band's discography more because if there are gems like this hidden throughout their 30-year career i want to be in on that i want to know those songs i want to have a relationship with that music and optimistic was one that really jumped out at me as and you can tell me if i'm wrong but just the little bit of radiohead that i i had heard this seemed closer to maybe an okay computer sound where there's definitely a heavy presence of guitars. Tom York's voice is a little bit clearer. There's that signature uh, falsetto, but rasp to his voice. And I really like what this track brought to the table. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'll, I have a lot to say about optimistic, optimistic, optimistic is my favorite track on the album. Really? Um, well, yeah, probably. Um, but rewinding briefly, you mentioned that uh, Tree Fingers is like just a little bit of an interlude, which it is. But I mentioned earlier uh, in the show um, that you don't realize you're listening to a guitar. That's a guitar. That is the messed up part of that song is... You know, it it sounds like an instrumental bed that would have fit with the first two songs in the record. I mean, it's just completely different and detached from that normal Radiohead sound. But you are right. That is three minutes of essentially ambient, abstract guitar music, which is not what I would call a popular sound even now in in mainstream music. It's it's such a a bold risk to take. When I don't know if you'll know what I'm what I'm talking about, um, that out, that tree fingers for me for, so for one, the background on that is the band was extremely, uh, they were extremely hesitant and really nervous about, um, like 
prior to this, all of them had been involved on every song. And now you've got Tom just, you know, like on a synth. Just clinking away, hoping that he finds the sound that will strike him. Yeah, he's making computer music and like layering his voice. And like, you know, like the bassist is like, what the fuck? Like, you know what I mean? So like they're freaking out. And anyways, like uh, Ed O'Brien is uh, one of their guitarists. And he's in the studio, right? And he's making some uh, like guitar riff. And... Tom like walks in, like records it, and then like does computery shit to it. Uh, again, I'm not like a music computery shit works. I understood what you meant. Yeah, I'm not like an aficionado, but yeah, he does like computery shit to it and squirts out tree fingers, and it's like, how the hell is that? Like, what is that, right? But again, like, you know, it's a skippable song. I will, I will skip it, right? But it still feels like you're like on like a foreign like planet. Like it, it still elicits like some weird emotion, and that's even in like a skippable track. It just feels uneasy, right? Kid A is an album that to really appreciate it, it it really needs to be heard song one to song eleven in that order. Not that it tells this great narrative story where you know every song gives you a hint as to what to come, but just the overall atmosphere of this record, it needs to be heard in order and it needs to be heard all the way through. I I completely agree. And uh, from there you get to Optimistic, which I mentioned uh, is my favorite. And let it be known, you're saying, you know, you've got your signature Tom falsetto, you've got the guitars, you've got the drums, you've got the bass, you've got it all in this track. Um, and as a result, the radio play reflected that. This was their most popular song off the album. And it's not like this was some major, like, radio banger for, uh, like, the album or whatever. It was just no, the one that this song... Up. This song would be noted to death by alternative radio programmers today. This song does not get on the radio. It's just in today's world, there's too much happening with it. It's even this is probably too slow. It's it, we're talking about, you know, any programmer that took a risk on this song, more power to them, even with Radiohead being the biggest band of the world or one of them. This is just such an abstract and just different kind of to put it in the air quotes pop song. Yeah, no, completely. And it, again, it's the most approachable on the record by far. Um, and I, I don't know what that says about our taste, but that's, I think, our favorite. Yeah, uh, for me, it's it's that uh, how to disappear completely. I have a, a slight notch ahead of that, but I really, really enjoyed Optimistic. Yeah, it's great. And you mentioned you don't like jazz, which I knew. But I mean, you've got like the fade out into basically like a jazzy transition to uh what is it in limbo yes yeah and then you've got in limbo right after um and you've got that like jazzy fade uh and transition for the two of them it's weird too because you've got optimistic uh so the thing with optimistic that's interesting is the whole thing is kind of like an individual like the album the concept of the album is it's like an individual critique. It's like a, you know, like a mental experiment. But at the same time, you've also got, you know, uh, like the degradation of uh, capitalism as a whole and what it's doing to the individual. 
you've got, you know, like corporations doing this and that optimistic being the like corporations driven track. Um, so I think it's what the, yeah, it's like the big fish eat the little ones is a lyric on this track. Um, that's like in reference to, you know, look at Amazon destroying, you know, like every little company. That's yeah, no, no, nothing's changed in the 20 years since the song's been written. It's the, exactly. it's the same issue. And, that, and that's and that's why you've got all these write-ups that are like, you know, oh, like this album is like so poignant. And it's not that Radiohead was like predicting the future. It's that the future was extremely fucking easy to predict, right? There is, uh, as we go along, there is one song that uh, is Radiohead is given credit for perhaps predicting the future of that. But before we do get to Idiot Tech, we do have to talk about In Limbo for just a second. I felt like this was a half-hearted attempt at the, to put it again in air quotes, concept. This just seemed like a, a more doled down version of the first few tracks on the record. And because of that, Although I don't love the way this album starts, I really respect and appreciate what they did there. In Limbo, for me, was just a weaker version of that. Yeah, so I think In Limbo, again, starting with the jazz transition, I think that it's actually, like, unintentionally... You know those, you know things that are, like, not funny to anyone else except you? Most of my life, yes. Yeah, so uh, that is kind of, like, this song to me when I... I forget when it was that, you know, Genius, where you can, like, look at lyrics or whatever. Yeah, like, a huge reason this podcast exists is because Genius exists. Yeah, so, like, I remember when Genius, like, came to be, and I'm looking at Radiohead lyrics like a good boy, and uh, <laughs> I remember I came across In Limbo for some reason, right? And uh, the – let me look it up real quick. The – it's like Lundy Fastnet Irish Sea. I got a message I can't read. Another message I can't read. Um, that is so ridiculously British. <laughs> if you're not from the UK, you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? It's the like, I don't even know how to like, like contextualize this. That is the the lundy fastnet irish sea is um like the uk equivalent to watching the weather channel like it's it's uh i guess i if i'm recalling correctly it's like uh that's like some something like that's said every time and apparently it's like a very like monotone calming voice and like British people love the sound of it or something. And so he's like drawing on like by repeating that like verbiage, like calming the listener down, which again is extremely experimental and innovative and cool, but it's like so abstract that it's like, dude, just like fuck off. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's just completely. like, that is like like that is so like pretentious for the sake of being pretentious again it's like the artistic choice that was made but it's just like so hilarious to me that that's 
like the route that they chose to go with. But yeah, this is totally like a flyover track for me also. I want to move to Idiotech uh, as we talk about Radiohead possibly predicting the future. And I, w- I was on the world's greatest website, The Ringer, this week, and there was a lot of Ringer coverage regarding this Radiohead album, which makes total sense. And one of them had referenced the essay in Chuck Klosterman's 2005 Killing Yourself to Live, and that Klosterman wrote that Radiohead predicted 9-11 with his theory that in this song it is an, an indication of the eventual war on terror. The evidence is all there in the lyrics, who's in the bunker, women and children first, this is really happening. And it seems like 15 years later, and they talk about this in the Ringer article I was reading, Idiotech sounds less concerned with a single historical moment, but rather the result of a constantly sped up society, uh, no matter the political situation. And that feels like a very apt way of describing what I found to be an incredibly powerful song. listening to it to like i'm not listening to this song because i'm like trying to get like amped up i'm listening to this song because it's just like so unbelievably fucked uh it's it's this is the takeaway from this album right this is whether or not you like it sonically lyrically this is radiohead at their best again written in 1999 released in 2000 you know a year before 9-11 you know two years before like the war on terror really kicks off and you've got radiohead you know talking about nuclear holocaust uh you know a recurring ice age um you've got references to laughing while the world burns which is like you know if you're into like roman history at all that's a reference to like nero right laughing as rome burns uh you've got like scaremongering um which is like very george bush well that's Uh, that's i was kind of thinking about this as i was listening to the album and this is something that despite being born in 1999 i do think about often was you know, this album came out a month before the 2000 election, and not that we are, you know, riding around, you know, championing Al Gore in every single move he makes, but you ever just sit back and think like, man, what if Gore would have won that election? Would it, uh, would it have yeah. been nice? <laughs> I think about it pretty frequently, actually. Um, yeah, man, we might not be in the Middle East right now, which would be kind of cool, especially, sick. especially considering my career path. <laughs> My, my trajectory is a little bit different because of uh, old uh, man bear pig not taking office. So, Well, your trajectory is the Middle East. Uh, that is that is kind of where things are headed for you, which, which is a bummer because, you know, you could stay here and watch the world burn around you, the country burn around you, but at least you have Idiotech to listen to, which it, it's a song that really grew on me. I mean, immediately, like, how to disappear completely, I was like, yes, this is it. Idiotech was one where I was like, I, I don't know. And then around the fourth or the fifth time, I was like, no, this song is actually terrific and I need to shut up because this is just a really great song. 
Yeah, I, I think that your reaction to it is how most listeners would feel. And it's probably how most listeners feel about the entirety of the album. Like, again, it's like, is it sonically pleasing? Yeah, it, it, like the album sounds great. But at the same time, it's not like, you're not getting an earworm off of any song on this. Like, you have to make a concentrated effort to come back and listen to it and gain a better understanding so like you're right like the first time you listen to idiotech you're like oh, yeah this is pretty good i guess like you know like is that Whatever. it yeah it's like okay that, that 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 existed that was a lot of my reaction to this album was like that exists and then as as i would continue listening to it and my opinions would morph and evolve a little bit it would go from a mere existence to something that i actually valued a lot of this album and especially the second half of it yeah, and I think that's probably how most of Radiohead's discography works. Like, they're extremely talented, and, like, uh, you've got, like, orchestral backings because Johnny Greenwood, another one of their guitarists, is, like, orchestrally trained and can actually, um, you know, like, do that. Do he can do that, yeah. Yeah, like, it's cool. I, I mean, he, the background being, like, all of these artists are extremely talented on their own. Like Johnny Greenwood did the soundtrack for uh, The Master, There Will Be Blood. He's really good friends with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. So he does the score for most Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And Tom York has done other scores for other films. They're just like a really, really talented group of people. And I think that that talent really shines on Idiotech. Because it's just like, again, you're like, what are you talking about? And then you listen to it again and you kind of take the lyrics in a little bit more. And it's like, damn, these guys were talking about global warming like before it was cool, literally. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. a, a simpler time. Yeah, no, it, it's just, it's good stuff, right? Like, you, I think again for a commercially successful band like them in the year 2000 to be grappling with very real social issues you know you've got fear-mongering politicians you've got melting ice caps rising sea levels nuclear holocaust it's like you know you could have just made a song about like loving somebody right <laughs> and you would have been like totally fine but again it's them like pushing that boundary and i think the idiotech is is uh, like the epitome of that boundary pushing. Do you have any piping hot takes on the song Morning Bell? Because I think before we get to motion picture soundtrack, which ends the album on such a high note, uh, there was Morning Bell, which, you know, I, I just said a lot of my opinions morphed and evolved throughout my time listening to this album, but Morning Bell certainly existed. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. I think it's a good song. Um, I think that the lyrics or not even the lyrics but the vocals particularly are um i guess like air quotes haunting um like, like it's vocally it's great sonically it's great i don't think it's like a crazy thing i'm sure there's like some deeper meaning to the lyrics that i'm not gonna pull out of the recesses of my brain but uh it's good stuff it's a good song um, again i'm not typing specifically into Spotify morning bell 
So no, yeah, and and I and I don't blame you for that. Whereas you know, if you want to do that for motion picture soundtrack, I would understand. And before mm-hmm. you sound off on on your thoughts on the song, I will once again read you from the Rob Sheffield 50th anniversary Rolling Stone piece he did, uh, in which he says, "At that point, it seemed like Radiohead were the only '90s band left who still wanted to be a '90s band, who still aspired to vent teen angst and adult dread and geopolitical rage and sexual yearning." At the same time, they were aiming for the stature stature abandoned too fast by the larger-than-life legends of the era, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Biggie, Tupac, Axel, Courtney, R.E.M., and U2. And, you know, then he goes on to say the music is full of self-doubt and embarrassment. These are artists who dedicated their lives to something they thought was important, becoming the world's greatest rock band, then wondered if they, if they, got, if they got it taken from them. And it just seems like that is so poignant now. I mean, they're making this album uh, with what was 20 years of chaos and destruction that would follow immediately after. And in a very real sense, removing myself from the album, it just seems so very concerning that everything they're afraid of then it was not stopped. It's still accurate now. And I was just kind of listening to this in a very real and very existential way, just wondering where we go from here. Yeah, I um, I think you're totally right. You kind of like hit the nail on the head. You know, I mean, this is their, I guess, closest you could get to, and you mentioned, you know, like love and sex previously regarding the like description of this song. It's the closest, I guess, you could get on this album to it being like a breakup song or like anything in like, that regard i mean the lyrics it's like you know like help me get back to your arms and like all that sort of thing and it's like if that's what you take away from it i guess it it, like it can be i guess but that's so like surface layer again this is this is an extremely like existential song it's not like it's not like help me get back to your arms and like help me get where I belong regarding like the loss of a lover. Right. That'll come later in Radiohead's discography. (laughs) Uh, But no, again, it's like a social critique where they're wondering like, where do we go from here? They're wondering where they go as a band. Cause I mean, they're dropping this without knowing how it's going to be received. Um, I mean, this song is this song is also awesome. It's um, incredible. It's really incredible. I, it's incredible, and I, I sent you. We were talking earlier about like how like cringe the like Radiohead fan base is, um, and I sent you that video probably what an hour before we started this. Yeah, just about. Um, about an hour before we started this, and it was uh, you know someone playing this at like a funeral a funeral for a 23 year old at that yeah and it's being played like orchestrally and uh for anyone listening to this uh it's sad as fuck like um, i will throw that video in the in the show description uh if you're listening to this on your podcast feed of choice i will link that video to uh to get you to prepare for one of the saddest things i've ever seen yeah i mean like and again, it's like, what other song could you have played from this album that could pull out such emotion regarding 
uh, I guess like the loss of anything. I think this song more than anything on the album to me just feels like loss. Completely. Uh, and it, it's just, uh, it's incredible. I can't like speak highly enough of it. I feel like I've said that like for every goddamn song on this album, but like, it is just great. And like I said before, um, before we started uh, recording, you know, I hadn't listened to this album like all the way through in quite some time, you know, and I reached the end of it, AKA where we are right now. And I was like, God damn, this is like extremely bleak. Like it doesn't leave you with like a, you know, like a happy fuzzy feeling or anything. And I think that that's the importance of it. You know, not every album needs to make you feel incredible at the end of it. I think that like, you know, what makes the highs so high, both like in life and musically are experiencing the lows. Um, so, you know, you can move from this album to uh, that Casey Musgraves album right after mm. and feel like a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's dark, it's moody, you know, it's like the ins and outs of like the human experience. And again, I've never released a chart topping album and toured for a year and a half and you know dealt with like serious depression but like i listened to this and i'm like I, maybe i have you know <laughs> yeah this is not the pump up anthem this whole album there's no anthems that i would recommend for a positive attitude going into november and you know what is the future of the country but i kind of think that's important because i don't have any problem admitting that I'm very scared of what's to come and I'm very scared of the next month. And regardless of what happens a month from now, the next four years from now, it's, it's really troubling. And I, I'm just confused by a lot of human behavior. And that's not a new revelation. That's not an original opinion, but there is a strange amount of comfort in picking up Kid A seven days ago and saying, you know, okay, this is what I'm listening to this week. And for as scary as it is that everything was still as relatable, it was a nice message that I know that other people have felt this way and are feeling this way. And hopefully one day we can put that in the rear view, but I, I, I don't know exactly when that's coming. So Kid A is, you know, a record that was released 20 years ago, but it's a record that is just as important in the, in the present day. I, yeah, I completely agree. It's uh again, like these are, these are crazy times. I'm not, I'm not going to sit on this podcast and be like vote blue, no matter who or whatever. Like that's you should, not you should vote. You should vote. Yeah, but you, you don't should, feel you should, good about it after the fact. Yeah, no, you should. Whoever's listening, you should vote for sure. Please, please do that. <laughs> and if you're taking the stance of uh, never settle, just remember that Bernie Sanders and Angela Davis and people that know more than you or that have suffered more than you are telling you to vote. So uh, please vote. Yeah, completely. And again, I think like, if it means anything, Tom York would also probably tell you to vote. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, incredible album. I think uh, a lot of it, like the dozens of articles have said, ring true to this day. Um, it is unfortunate that a lot of the issues that they're talking about, we haven't really made strong headway on <laughs> addressing. Um, 
but again, it, it like it is extremely reassuring to listen to an album like Kid A and know that a lot of the apprehensiveness and you know fears that you're feeling, a lot of other people are feeling. And I, I think that that's like really, really important. Have I experienced writer's block? No, I don't write. I can't read. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's important. I, I, I think, again, history will treat this album extremely well as it already has with it being, you know, like, you know, the 20th best album of all time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it just rocks. Well, as we put a bow on this, and because you can't read, let me read you. Uh, the only other thing that I think is worth mentioning as we talk about Kid A is the impact that this record had on Pitchfork, because this album came out October 2nd, 2000. The Pitchfork review came out October 3rd, 2000. And although that seems like an obvious thing now, that was a very novel concept 20 years ago, and Kid A helped launch Pitchfork onto a lot of people's radars, and in the review, uh, they say, the experience and emotions tied listening to Kid A are like witnessing the stillborn birth of a child while simultaneously having the opportunity to see her play in the afterlife on IMAX. It's an album-sparking paradox. It's cacophonous yet tranquil, experimental yet familiar, foreign yet womb-like, spacious yet visceral, textured yet vaporous, awakening yet dreamlike, infinite yet 48 minutes. It will cleanse your brain of those little crustaceans of worries and inferior albums clinging inside the fold of your gray matter. So taking all of that into consideration, Vaughn, the last hour and 20 minutes that we've talked about Kid A, the 10 out of 10 from Pitchfork, the universal praise 20 years later, I ask you the question, who needs to hear Kid A and why? Um, well, to start regarding that, I'm going to actually revoke any time I said I needed to be self-aware or not pretentious. And I'm going to channel all of that energy into whoever wrote that pitchfork review because they need to take a serious breather. Uh, like most pitchfork writers. With the exception um, of Ian Cohen. Ian Cohen has done nothing wrong. Everyone else needs yeah, to check with, themselves. With, with the exception of Ian Cohen. Um, I think who needs to hear uh, Kid A, and this is going to sound like hilariously douchey is like whoever needs to hear kid a you know like i'm not like it doesn't need to be forced i i, I genuinely do think that this is an album that either you need to be making a podcast about so you do the homework on it or you stumble into it organically like it, you try and recommend this to anybody and they're like what like do you hate me you know <laughs> like it's got to be something that you kind of like find on your own or you're like kind of pushed in that direction. And if it's the right time for you to hear something like this, then it'll resonate. And if not, you won't come back to it. Like, and I think that's the case for most Radiohead stuff. It's just, you know, like they're not making it to, you know, be chart topping. They're not making it to please an audience. They're making it because it's what they feel and what they want to put out into the world. And artistically, like I can't help but respect that, so. Vaughn, I think that's incredibly well put. 
thank you uh, for joining me on this journey. Before we go, uh, please let the people know if the, if you want to be found, where they can find you, and what you would like to tell people about this week. Uh, again, we mentioned it previously. Um, vote. Yes, please. Please, please vote. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm actually pulling it up right now because I'm forgetting what my uh, Twitter handle is. Well, it seemed like there was an incident maybe four years ago in the political realm that maybe made you rethink your Twitter handle from Vonald Trump's to something else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my Twitter handle was uh, Vonald Trump's. Uh, that was was created in the year of our Lord 2012. Uh, my new Twitter handle uh, is actually at Father Von Misty. Uh, and <laughs> the Twitter name, if you're curious, is Vondre3k. Um, so again, two more music references. But yeah, at Father Von Misty, if you want to find me on there. I'm expecting a mass exodus of followers Yes, of art school heathens that are, are dying for more of your takes. Hey, I hope so. I truly hope so. But um, yeah, I mean, this has been awesome. I think my final thing I would like to say is uh, you mentioned for me to have a, a charity at the ready. Um, I think uh, where I would like to focus my attention is uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um and just, you know, female rights in general. I think as we've seen uh, regarding, you know, the death of RBG. The notorious new, one. Yeah, the notorious, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, the, the notorious one on the court. Um, we've got a new Supreme Court justice coming up. And although she is a woman, I don't think she cares about fellow women. Um, so yeah i mean they're doing good work i would say planned parenthood but that felt too cliche um so yeah center for reproductive rights they're doing important stuff uh support roe v wade support women absolutely well vaughn i i tip my fedora to you for uh, such a novel organization to plug as Thank always you. as I, always <laughs> go ahead well, I was just going to say before we go, I look forward to uh, whenever we can get our Dugarita. Oh, God, maybe, maybe I break edge for you and we, we got to film it and monetize it somehow. Uh, <laughs> this week, I'd like to let the people know about Chicago Coalition for the Homeless at ChicagoHomeless.org. Uh, the West Coast is dealing with extreme heat, and their houseless people are not given, obviously, basic shelter, but stuff like food and water that you need to survive. That's an issue going out on the West Coast. Uh, here in the Midwest, it's about to get very cold. People are, are going to be freezing, literally, and uh, it just seems like it is our, our God-given purpose to uh, house the homeless and to not let them suffer in the streets. So uh, there's information there. If you can donate, that would be amazing. As always, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore K slow, C A S C L W E. And the podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. Vaughn, I'd like to thank you for joining me once again. This has been Radioheads Kid A.